0: This is a 980 CKNW podcast. Good evening, I'm Maureen McGrath and this is the Sunday Night Health Show. It's been said your health is your wealth and leads to a longer, happier life and even better relationships. Physical mental emotional spiritual relational and yes even sexual listener discretion is advised please put the kiddies to bed because we always uncover what lies beneath the covers here on the sunday night health show i have a passion for evidence-based health information to guide you so that the life you lead is the best it can be my aim is to provide you with up-to-date health information so that you know there are treatment options for whatever concerns you. This does not however replace a visit to your doctor for whatever well, for whatever it ills. It is that ails you. You can tell I'm back from vacation. Hopefully, you've had the opportunity to enjoy a little bit of vacation this year. To me, vacations or holidays, as we say here in Canada, are weight-gaining expeditions of gluttony, honestly. And if you go to the States on your vacation, their pastime is eating out in restaurants and where they serve you ten times the amount of food that you need. and don't charge you very much at all. Another pastime is baseball. So when uh, we went to the Red Sox game when I was in Boston, and it was awesome, I have to say. But, you know, I I, um, was very impressed by the Red Sox fans. If you don't think that America has your back, Canada, you are so wrong. Uh, We actually had some great seats. We were on the third baseline. We were in about row seven. But we went down to have our picture taken. I don't know if you've ever been to Fenway Park or not, the Green Monster, but uh, you're right down there uh, with the players. And so we got down there... um, in the front row to have our picture taken and I said to the people who were seated in the front row that they must be important because they were in the front row and they said no we're not we're actually guests of these folks here we're from Nashville and they said to me where are you from and I said Canada and they started singing Oh Canada and then the entire section uh, started singing the entire rendition of Oh Canada um, which was pretty awesome and uh, thoroughly enjoyable it was a great game we went to the uh, it was the first of a four game series against n- the New York Yankees, their arch rivals, and uh, so it was a lot of fun. But we're back here, I'm back here tonight uh, for the fun-filled, informative show. Some light subjects, some heavy. If you have any questions at all about any of the subjects I'll be talking about tonight, the number to call is one eight seven seven three nine nine ninety eight ninety eight. 9898 You can always email me at nursetalk at hotmail.com. Uh, you know, there are some subjects tonight that I'd really love to hear from you about, uh one i'm going to be talking about very shortly but first and foremost if you've ever listened to the show before you know that i am a music lover and my heart was broken this week as the hearts of many around the globe i'm sure when we lost the queen of soul a voice from heaven a reach as broad as her range aretha franklin a musical and cultural icon whose music percolated throughout and uh you know cultures uh, people. She touched so many people's hearts. Um, she was a civil rights activist. She was a woman who had a baby at the age of 12, another one at the age of 14, married at 15. Uh, she did tremendous work to advance the progress of women in this country. And she's the mother of musical greats like Beyonce and the like. So uh, I'm going to talk about what she died of tonight, which is pancreatic cancer. I myself lost a friend to that as well. Uh, Also going to talk about 30 things you should never say to your husband, especially if he's the sensitive type. Uh, Some of these things you should never say to your spouse either. um, Your wife for that matter. Uh, Also going to be talking about the three times in Life, when women are at greatest risk of stroke. What is the connection between music and medicine? I might have the answer for you. And how does your sex life change after the baby? Also, this is just from my clinical practice. This next subject, it's like... Because I have been back for for a little bit, and and um, you know I, I was off for a bit, and so it, it, there were so many people who needed to come in to see me this week, and I was just really just crazy busy, and uh, and so there were, often there are themes, and so I decided that after returning to the office, that I would need to actually talk about the five rules for having an extramarital affair if you don't want to get caught. Because, uh, so this was a big issue this week. And and sometimes, you know, uh, an extramarital affair is actually a symptom of what is going on in the marriage or what is not going on in the marriage, but it's definitely troubles within. Uh, so I want to talk about that. But sometimes, uh, you know, it can be extremely hurtful. It's, it's one of the worst forms of betrayal in a relationship. Um, also, I'm also going to be talking about... Um, uh, abuse of power, psychopaths, because Marilee McLean, she's the author of the acclaimed book, Prosecuted But Not Silenced, Courtroom Reforms for Sexually Abused Children, her disturbing account of marrying a psychopath who physically, emotionally, and sexually abused her and her daughter. So we you're talking with her at, and um, about... Uh, 25 minutes or so, but right now, I want to talk about the Catholic Church and the report that I don't think enough people are talking about, or I really don't think enough people are enraged about this, but I am really enraged about this. I am... Uh, Catholic. I was raised Catholic. I went to convent school. I am very familiar. I said to somebody, you know, I'm I'm so Catholic that uh, the my relatives actually get a police escort for funerals. <laughs> uh, I have a cousin who is was the youngest ordained bishop in the Catholic Church. Uh, so this really uh, hits me. I I have to say I have uh, massive disappointment with the institution. Of the Catholic Church, although my faith remains intact, my faith in God and my faith in a higher power and my faith in uh, living uh, the best, um, in, in a most respectful way in this life that we have been so graciously given. Um, but I was extremely distressed at the report that six out of eight Catholic dioceses um, were found to have over a thousand child victims of predator priests over seven decades in the state of Pennsylvania. The Pope has been silent on that. Uh, the Vatican has expressed shame and sorrow. This has been going on for decades and decades. If you recall the movie Spotlight, um, where the Boston Globe had uncovered uh, countless um, uh, sexual abuse cases, as sexual assault crimes, really, against children. Um, this ruins children's lives. And, um, you know, the, I think it begs, uh, one of the questions that it begs is, uh, is it time that we stop suppressing men's sexuality? Because, as you know, Catholic priests are not allowed to marry. And, um, and therefore, I think it is a, a magnet for pedophiles and and predators, um, because they have uh, the perfect uh, vulnerable a child, or you know um, there were a m- number of years that mothers really trusted priests, um, you know the parish priest was somebody that you trusted, but there was one case in Pennsylvania where a little girl had a tonsillectomy and the parish priest came to visit her in the hospital and raped her. There was another case where a little girl was, um, a, a young girl was impregnated by a Catholic priest. Um, so this has, you know, has gone on far too long. And uh, we, we actually can't remain silent against this because this leads to uh, a horrific life for people Uh, people who have been sexually abused, whether it be by priests or... And and it's really the ultimate betrayal when you are a faith-abiding person um, and you have, you are taken advantage of in this way and also told not to tell anybody and, and oftentimes the children weren't believed as well. But this has such a tremendously negative impact on children. The Catholic Church is really a breeding ground for pedophiles and it's a patriarchal institution that oppresses men's sexuality. And, you know, Sorrow and shame expression is, quite frankly, not enough. And to anyone who believes that this is an appropriate response of an organization that protected pedophiles by transferring these criminals to dioceses without warning other parishioners, um, you know, I, I really don't know what to say to you. But I will ask the question, what if it was your daughter or son who was raped after a tonsillectomy, impregnated by a priest, or otherwise molested by a holy man from hell? You know, you have to think you have to know their life would change. And I'm not sure people understand the ramifications, but this is a little bit of what people have told me over the years because I've often been a trusted repository for those people who have been sexually abused by priests and others to share their stories. And this is what I know. I know that sexual abuse survivors suffer flashbacks, guilt shame, anxiety, obsessive compulsive disorder, and depression. They have tremendous difficulty in relationships, and they hate sex. They may drink, use substances, drugs, and become addicted to sex to numb their pain. They believe the sex abuse was their fault, and this rumination is on repeat, and they question their sexuality. And when I try to explain that they were victims of crimes, it is often the first time they've ever heard that, and they don't believe me. They don't trust, they've lost faith, and I don't blame them at all. So, if you, uh, have any comments about that, feel free to email me at nursetalk at hotmail.com. But I think this has to change, and I think these institutions of patriarchy, where the, where control, um, is the flavor of the day, where oppression, where guilt, um, many, many Catholics talk about, um, being raised with guilt, and, and also scruples as well. Um, you know, it's, it's a very hard, uh, Row to hoe. It's a very difficult way, and and uh, many Catholics, myself included, have had to deal with um, guilt, um, thinking that um, you know you always have to be perfect and you always have to be right. Um, and a lot of this is from some of the teachings of the Catholic Church. And of course, not all people um, have, a, not all priests have abused children, but those who are complicit in this, I feel, are as guilty as sin. <laughs> Welcome back to the Sunday Night Health Show. Maureen McGrath hosting this program for you. Thank you so much for being here with me this evening. It is always my pleasure to be with you. I did want to say also that this show is a free download on iTunes. So if you've missed it or you are at a family dinner or something on Sunday evening or otherwise are not able to listen to it live, feel free to download and subscribe to it on iTunes. Uh, also, anytime at all, if you have a subject that you'd like me to discuss, pop me an email, talk at hotmail.com. Or you can always call me anytime, one eight seven seven three nine 399 Dialogue is always better than uh, a monologue. <laughs> But nonetheless, thanks so much for being here with me. If it's your first time listening to the show, you may not know that I love music. I absolutely love music. Gospel, R&B, blues, jazz. I love it all. Uh, it just, it does something to my brain. I'm not sure exactly what. Maybe that's why I'm the way that I am. Who knows? But nonetheless, I'm having a good time. Uh, hopefully you are too, wherever you are. Uh, listening out there in Canada and Alberta or Manitoba or in British Columbia. Um, but I want to talk a little bit about, uh, medical students, uh, and one thing that music can teach medical students. You know, I remember hearing that video games were great for kids for one reason, uh, was that their dexterity, their manual dexterity could help them to become a surgeon one day. (laughs) I believed it. Um, but also, music is so important uh, for people. And one thing is that uh, that also improves manual dexterity, especially if you play the piano, or you play the cello, or you play the violin or the guitar. But the piano in particular can help um, with uh, your surgical skills, your manual dexterity, so necessary in the operating room. Um, and... What, something else that is really important, something about music. If you play an instrument or, or you sing, uh, you might notice that you're always trying to get better. You are avoiding complacency. So when we play an instrument, we avoid complacency and that helps us to improve our game, to up our game. And that's one thing that doctors actually need to do. And, you know, I've made this mistake before where I have said to people, I know a lot of doctors, let me tell you, and, and people will often come to me and and ask for my opinion on who they should go and see. And I have said the same thing. And like, like I think if you've broken your leg, let's hope you broke it on a, at a ski resort because they, those doctors have set so many broken legs, they'll be expert at it. Um, much is the same for a surgeon. And I think for a surgeon who has done thousands of procedures or operations, you know, that's the one you want to go to, but not necessarily, uh, because you can actually become complacent if you're doing the same. Same thing over and over again, and not actually reflecting, looking at your, uh, at yourself, um, at, you know, re- being retrospective, being insightful, and so this is why we're seeing a little bit of a shift. And, and there's one university, in the east, the Memorial University of Newfoundland, is um, ha- where people, are a lot of those pe- folks who are getting undergraduate degrees in music are going on to medical school because there's. A lot of similarities between the culture of music and the culture of medicine. Um, as I said, the manual dexterity is extremely helpful. And in music, plateaus are simply unacceptable. You know, you're, you're trying, you're playing over and over again to perfect it, to make it better. And that's a musician at any level. You're constantly reassessing what you do. And doctors need to do that. And doctors, quite frankly, likely don't do enough of that in surgery but it's really important i actually work with a phenomenal uh, surgeon he's a he has a clinical practice he does research he speaks and he does surgery and he does plan out every one of his surgeries and then he looks back at them and he decides you know, um, could he have done this better? What could have gone better? Um, how could he have improved the time, the outcome, whatever? And, and he's a great surgeon and has phenomenal outcomes, but he is a musician as well. <laughs> or thinks he is. And, uh, and I know that he does that. And, you know, medical instructors should really be more than teachers. And, and you know, residents today and medical students, they have such a, a tough go because they are on call often for 24 hours. But, you know, medical teachers should be coaches. And that's how one improves. And you improve with a coach. Even if you play the piano or you play the guitar, uh, and even if you've done that for a long time, Taking lessons is a critical part of improving. So you have somebody who can, you know, get you, help you, coach you to get to that next level. Um, I, I take guitar lessons I've, I've actually taken a little bit of a break but uh, i'll be back at it in september um, and people are kind of surprised or you know in when i was focused a little bit more on the piano i was taking piano lessons and people are surprised at that they think you know if you've been playing for such a long time why do you have to take um, lessons but it's because you know you actually need you're always wanting to get to that higher level that higher pitch um, if you will so it it's um i think i thought it's interesting and i think it's an interesting we have to look um, at people quite differently than um, in the past. It's not all about your, your grade point average um, or who you know or whatever. So you know what? Um, and that's why I think it's really important that children actually play an instrument or are exposed to music in one way or another. It can change the direction of their life um, in, a, in a very good way. Um, after the break, after the news, I, am um, gonna be talking to an author, Marilyn McLean. She wrote the book, Prosecuted But Not Silenced, Courtroom Reform for Sexually Abused Children. You know, there's a type of man, and I can hear you all out there saying, women are the same. There's a type of man called the crazy, who's often a brute as well. True loonies can be devastatingly, appealingly charismatic, kindly, and splendid in bed. Why then should a girl shun a psychopath? The problem is that beneath all of the fabulous sex and extravagant protestations of love, psychos feel absolutely nothing. But they are geniuses at mimicking normal human emotions like loyalty, compassion, empathy, and trust. And we're going to find out from Marilyn what happened when she married a psychopath, a psychopath who f- fit the bill. He spent enormous amounts of time, effort, and money to win her heart, and then suddenly lashed out, attacking her so viciously, she was left gasping. He seemed so normal until, it's a very disturbing story, but it's a very important story, and I am really looking forward to talking to Marilyn. I have to say, I cringed, and it made me nauseous when I read this book, some of the um, stories um, in it are just really horrific but hopefully you'll stay with me i am maureen mcgrath and you're listening to the sunday night health show Welcome back to this Sunday night health show. Maureen McGrath hosting this program for you. Uh, This next segment is a very uh, tough one, but a very important one. Um, First of all, I want to say that uh, there are. I had a number of calls this week, as well uh, on my return from vacation, about um, from women who were being abused or who had been in a relationship with a one particular man. Um, and, and they had experienced abuse as well, and they had tried to share this information with other women, and other women didn't believe them, and and other women judged them, and uh, but all of these women were damaged. That's that's the one thing I want to say because the psychopaths are amongst us, and they can be very charming, charismatic. They can lure you in. I've experienced this myself. I worked at a startup, and the CEO of the startup was. Um, I mean, he lured. So- so many people in, uh, but he lured people in and I was actually, somebody suggested that I should help him out with some clinical trials, which I did. But as soon as I got there, I realized there's something crazy going on here. This guy is a nut bar. And, uh, so he psychologically abused me and, and sexually harassed me for eight weeks, at which point I, I left. I had documented everything. And, and so I understand, um, this, this personality type a bit in men. That, uh, that said, I want to have a disclaimer here that it's not just men who are psychopaths. Women can be psychopaths too, but they are psychopaths in way more subtle ways. And so therefore, the behaviors aren't picked up as much. So tonight, we're going to focus on the male psychopath. And next week, I'd like you to come back to me uh, because I'm going to be talking about the behaviors of female psychopaths. Uh, but. I read a book recently called Prosecuted But Not Silenced, Courtroom Reform for Sexually Abused Children by Marilee McLean, and she joins me on the line. This is a riveting, disturbing, gripping account of her marriage to a psychopath. Good evening, Marilee. Good evening. Thanks for having me on, Maureen. Oh, thank you for coming on the show. I, I have to say your book uh, was incredible. My heart raced. At times I was nauseous. Um, It's shocking, your story. Um, But I think that's, um, there are these types of men. They are known as the crazy. They're often a brute as well. (laughs) They can be charming, devastatingly appealing, charismatic, kindly. They're amazing in bed. They're typically good looking. Um, but the problem is that beneath all of their fabulousness and the extravagant protestations of love, psychopaths feel nothing. And you can be lured in by one of these men and because they can mimic emotions like compassion and empathy and trust. But then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, they lash out with an attack so vicious that you are left gasping. And this is basically what happened to you.
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, I have that in my book. I wrote that in my book because I actually saw that in an article years before, and I thought, my gosh, this fits what I'm going through. And um, and at the bottom of that, I wrote uh, on that page, and I saved it in a drawer for years. And it, at the bottom, it said, "Merrily which would you choose, love or uh, this kind of dangerous man, because really that's what I was living with. So... Yeah, women need to realize when they're young: um, be careful who you marry, be careful of the psychopathic behavior, because these guys are exactly what you just said, Maureen. They're they're charming, they're charismatic, um, they can be very educated, and they do lure you in. And that's where their their power begins is in that kind of a relationship. They love that
0: control. They do. And throughout your experience with him, you, as many women do, tended to make excuses for his behavior, for his bizarre behavior. This is before you um, gave birth to your daughter.
1: Right. I, you know, it was like every three months or so, he would explode. And in between those three months or so, he he was great. So he was the perfect man you'd want to be with. And he was really fun and all those good things and, you know, all, all that women want but Until he lost
0: his cool or or cut up your bikini. Oh.
1: Yeah, yeah. He <laughs> really did read my book. <laughs> but um, yes, he he would do some pretty drastic things and it left me shocked because I didn't come from that kind of a background. I was very protective growing up. Back in those days, which was many years ago, this was probably 30 years ago, we didn't hear about domestic violence or child abuse or really not like you do today on the TV every day. So I didn't really understand what I was in, but in that cursive control pattern and, and taking taking control of you completely. And I didn't even realize he was, because I considered myself a very strong, independent woman. But, yes, the, there was that... Um, the physical and emotional abuse but it was a part of the psychology of of taking advantage of the woman that they pretend to love or say they love but right it's not love.
0: and they have per- they have problems in every domain of their life so he had financial problems he obviously had problems with his family he worked for his father's company down in midland texas and the headquarters was in new york um but he didn't quite have the money he had credit issues he had relationship problems oh,
1: yeah you said everything that's that's, that's the thing that I think people, that women need to know, and, and I know there are uh, women that are psychopaths also, but this is, this is the different, that is exact pattern, everything you just hit on, and, and all that stuff, if I would have known to pick up on that, or understand more what was going on, but I kept believing that he truly loved me, <laughs> just like, oh, they always ask, what, why? gay. Well, I stayed for those very reasons of thinking. But those problems were there right from the beginning. He couldn't hold a job. He couldn't maintain a job. He um, later became, you know, very much the thing I couldn't stand is somebody to cheat. He was very much a cheater, um, had many affairs, um, and then treated me horribly through my pregnancy. And that's a lot of times when these guys come out the worst is when the woman's pregnant. And that is when he became even more violent and more emotionally abusive and And i almost felt like the emotional abuse was worse than the physical of course i wasn't beaten to death or anything like that but it was always a fear of what he would do
0: but you were knocked out and you had a concussion and you didn't tell the doctor that uh, this had happened to you because were you embarrassed which of course it would be highly embarrassing that your husband the man who supposed to love you hits you in the head enough to give you a concussion
1: right? So he he hits me in the head and gives me a concussion and I'm stunned. I mean I I'd never been hit before. I I had three older brothers. They were never allowed to lay a hand on me. So I, I just I couldn't imagine somebody I had just married would hit me in the head and give me a concussion. And yes, he did um, on two occasions actually of, of where I was hit in the head very very hard. And one of them was. I just told him he had played a great um, handball tournament or whatever and he came out to the car sat in the car and just looked over. me his eyes would just go and they would change in an instant like they could be really a nice blue soft like a good guy and then they could change to this cold stare gone and that, in an instant and that when he would do that, and right. that's when I passed out in the field, and Frank took me to a doctor.
0: Right, and, so, yeah. and I think you have to see it to believe it. I've had experiences with two psychopaths in the work environment, and I've seen that exact charming. One was like Gomer Pyle, goofy, so nice, so sweet, and then boom, cold and, and horrific.
1: But, yeah, that cold, oh, yeah, that, that's, it's almost evil. You just, you can't believe who you're with, and you can't believe this is the real person.
0: That's so, right. Yeah, and I'd like you to stay on the line a, a bit, if you don't mind. Um, we're going to get to what I consider to be the absolute worst, the most horrific aspect of this story. That um, you know was was chilling uh, for me, and just really horrific to to read about. And to you can't even imagine that somebody could do this, but only somebody who was heartless and cold and lacked feeling and human emotion. I'm Maureen McGrath. You're listening to the Sunday Night Health Show. Welcome back to the Sunday Night Health Show. Maureen McGrath hosting this program for you. If you have any questions at all for myself or my guest, the number to call is 1-877-399-9898. You can always email me, at hotmail.com. I will actually be reading some of your emails later on in the program. My guest is Marilee McLean. She has written the book Prosecuted But Not Silenced, Court Reform for Sexually Abused Children. Hello, Marilee, again. Hi, Marie. Thanks for staying on the line. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So, uh, we were talking about the psychopath that you married, his emotional, physical, verbal abuse, his uh, going from a charming, great guy to uh, uh, basically psychopath, is there any other way to describe it, um, attacking you viciously, and um, you did have a child um, with him. Uh, but divorced him at that time as well mm-hmm. and and shared custody so this is I think the part of the story that is the just the hardest to hear um, but if you wouldn't mind sharing what happened um, with our listeners
1: absolutely um I I had uh, my baby, and before, as I said earlier in the um, radio show, is that he was very abusive during my pregnancy. I had made up my mind I was leaving him after she was born, and um, I, I did exactly that. Six months after she was born, I filed for a divorce. I had to get out very carefully. Now, that's before you ever knew about um, domestic violence so much and how you need to get out of these relationships or marriages and how carefully you have to plan it. But somehow I had like a sixth sense or an instinct that I better do this very carefully. Even though I did, I went through a lot of stalking, abuse, um, some horrific ordeals that happened. But in the meantime, um, I had a beautiful baby girl and everything was okay. He had very minimal visitation with her. And then by the time she was two and a half, um, my daycare provider brought it to my attention that she was... Displaying sexual behaviors with another little boy at the daycare. And I thought, well, she's probably getting that from that little boy because I knew nothing would be happening and I never would dream that he would do anything like that to her. So she disclosed not long after that and in detail, and she was very articulate at a young age. Um, I don't think he had any idea how verbal she was and, and then what she told me was happening. And it was more, um, it's showing what was happening to her. And I, I was shocked, and in time, I I called my sister who was a nurse at Children's Hospital, and I said, what do I do? And she said, ask her in the morning what happened, and she repeats the same thing. Don't mention her dad's name, but take her to her pediatrician. And that's what I did. And then it went from there to social services, and that's where my nightmare began.
0: And you and described once, a harrowing excerpt from the book, uh, the description of going in to pick her up at her father's house, where you had uh, oh. dropped her off beautifully kempt and clean and with uh, Johnson's mm-hmm. baby cream all over her, so she smelled fresh and beautiful. And when you picked her up, she was naked and smelled, and her, the, his place was a disaster, and he presented this child to you.
1: Yeah, I, I picked her up and that was it. I just thought to myself that, that day because she had this little lace stockings on and cute dress and she was darling. I mean, you couldn't walk down the street without people stopping me to talk to her. Her eyes just danced and lots of personality and I picked her up, and he brought her down the stairs, wet, nude, and limp in his arm. Mm-hmm. And I thought, what the hell happened to her? And he said, she's sick. And I said, that's funny. She was fine a few hours ago. Right. And her clothes were strewn all over the living room floor, and I got her stuff together, and I got her dressed. And I got her out of there as quickly as I could. But... You know, uh, even a month or so later, I used to shoot out my bed at 2 o'clock in the morning because I could still see that smirk on his face like a O.J. Simpson, you idiot, Marilee, I just raped your daughter and you don't even get it. Because uh-huh. that was before I knew what he was doing. And that was before the daycare brought up to my attention and before my daughter had
0: disclosed and so, um, Just in the interest of yeah. time, you eventually divorced him and got attorneys and, um, went to the, through the court system, which you say is incredibly dysfunctional and highly flawed, mm-hmm. um, and, and ended up being arrested yourself for, um, because they're so manipulative and so charming, he was actually able to turn the rookie yeah. police officer he, he on you.
1: Things. He would twist things and he would, um, all kinds of ways to, I mean, I I actually ended up through the court system um, having a gag order um, because I tried to get, um, you know, I tried to get help. I tried everywhere I could to get help. I couldn't believe the system could fail my child like this, and he was able to manipulate. I didn't think that it was, I believe it was just him because he was such a psychopath. I figured he was manipulating everybody, and I watched him do that including the G A L on the case, which is the guardian of the lawyer for the child. Uh But it wasn't just him. The system is failing and failing thousands and thousands of women out there today and children. And I I get calls every day on this.
0: And how would you say they're failing uh, children and mothers today? First of all, there's something called parental alienation syndrome that is sort of, it's been flown out there, but it's not an actual syndrome.
1: Right. Um, When I went in one day for her to have a supervised visit with her dad, um, I was looking through the window while he was with the uh, social worker and he looks, as we said, the perfect father. And I'm trying to think what, what they're gonna, if they're gonna pick up on any of this. And I'm met by the GAL, which is the guardian of life lawyer for the child, and she said she had four things she wanted to discuss with me. And they took me into a room. And they interrogated me like nothing I'd ever seen on TV, uh, not like a law show or anything. Why would your daughter continue to say this if you are coaching her? Well, because maybe it's going on. And I want you to do a psychological evaluation, him to do one. I said, good, maybe we'll get to the bottom of this. And the GAL points her finger in my face and says, maybe we'll find out about you. And then she said, this is parental alienation. I said, well, have you read Dr. Baker's report that states my daughter's been sexually abused? And she said she doesn't state that. And I'm thinking, oh, my God, I just read it the day before. And it. Therapist that had tears in her eyes when she told me. So I'm thinking, am I going crazy here?
0: Mm-hmm. And then
1: she says the parental alienation syndrome. And I said, parental alienation? I said, i bent over backwards for this man to be in her life. And I had a great life, life, a uh, great relationship with my own dad, mm-hmm. uh, father. I want her to have a chance to have the same. She said, this child's going into foster care. They had a foster care home lined up before I ever walked in. It's not like you needed to take her out of the parent's home. I was the sole caretaker. You're taking her away from her, the parent that was... Nurturing her, not harming her. And um I went, I just hired an attorney the day before and the attorney, uh, said to the GAL, you take that child from her mom and he said, I will have her fast. And I ended up going into another room, laid my head down at a desk and I cried as if I was going to die, but I was trying to hold it together because they say I was emotionally nipped because that's what they do with a lot of these women. Right. And um the social worker tapped me on real coldly on the shoulder and says, you can go say goodbye to your daughter now. And um, I got up. I couldn't even walk. I couldn't feel my legs. There was a great mist around me. And I'd start walking down the hallway, and they go, look at her. Look at her. She can't handle it. She can't say goodbye to her daughter. And I just said, oh, yes, I can. And they had the police escort me out, and my my baby didn't know why. Uh, I didn't take her home. uh And then she was in foster care, and that was traumatic, absolutely horrific trauma for her. And that was all played up by him pushing that and the GAL had been involved in the case, and he was manipulating her. I hadn't even met the GAL. She'd been on the case for probably four months before I ever even met her and didn't even know she was on it. Wow. So he'd been working her all along.
0: Right, and typically mothers don't harm their children unless they have a mental illness called Munchausen, Munchausen by proxy. Uh, mm-hmm. So uh, how, how has this um, ended up today? You know, where, where, is, where are things today, and, and what advice would you give to women going through this?
1: Well, I, I, there's so many women going through this. I speak at a battered mother's conference every year in New York and Albany, and, and then sometimes it's in D, uh, Washington, D.C., but these women come in from all across the country that have lost their children the same as I did, and I lost my little girl to the abuser when she was four and a half, even with three doctors' reports, three police reports, three hospital reports, child advocacy and protection teams stating she was being abused, and writing letters to the judge, police contacts concerning the sexual abuse of this child. I would have a gag order, and that's what's happening to women today. They're getting gagged mm-hmm. and jailed uh, for trying to protect their children. So um, mainly I tell women um, what I did is I documented everything. That's why I was able to do this book, because I, ha- I have everything to back up. The mm-hmm. police reports, the doctor's reports, everything to back up what I... And, and so as you read it, you go go to Appendix A, and there's the police report. People go, that couldn't happen. Well, it's all in there, and it proves that it does happen. So it's got the research and the legal. Right. And I just think these women have got to um, – there's so many of them that it breaks my heart. That's all I can tell you. And as a society as a whole, it's destroying our children, and it's destroying women, too, because I watch these women go in the underground, go to bed, um, I mean, just where they can't get up anymore. Uh, they've committed suicide. And so it's – when they go to court, they really – need to have an attorney that understands domestic violence and child abuse, and I believe they need to understand the personality disorders of a psychopath, a narcissist, a sociopath. I believe these guys have a part of all three of those in them at some, at some point, uh-huh. and that um, judges do not understand that. They think, oh, here's a father, a good father, trying to get his child, and this woman is a vindictive ex-wife that's just making this stuff up. Women don't make this up. It is uh-huh. proven facts. Statistics will show it's, it's only 2%. So we're talking 98% of the time, that you're turning these children over to the abuser. Mm -hmm. These children are being abused. So that's a huge factor. So the women I tell them in my book, I have all um, different things that they can do. I I kept a binder, black legal binder, with all the important parts of my case. I was in court for 10 years fighting for her, um, and I lost her uh, at the age of 4 four and a half, five, and I was in supervised visits with her for eight years, one hour a week. She street is a hardened terminal, and I never did anything wrong. Oh I was nothing gosh. but a loving, good mother.
0: And I think so, in the end here, uh, you know, if it's too good to be true, it is. Thank you, Marilee, so much for your phenomenal oh book. I'm Maureen McGrath. Thank You're listening to the Sunday Night Health Show. You've been listening to a 980 CKNW podcast. Listen live at cknw.com, the Radio Player Canada app,